Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, hosted by me, Coach Ben Rosario, featuring the Hoka NAZ Elite athletes, and from time to time, a special guest from the world of running. We talk training and racing, but we also just talk, and we go way deeper than just running. The Midday Treat is your chance to get to know us as people, so follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, check out this episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. All right, thank you to Jen Rosario, my wife, for that brand new intro. She worked on that. Uh, and welcome all of you to the to the brand new iteration of Midday Treat with Hoka NAZ Elite. We have had a long absence, which we apologize for. Uh, but of course, um, some of these things go in waves and, and we're, we're excited to bring the podcast back in a new way, uh, a new format that we think you guys are really going to like, we hope. And of course, it's, it's fluid. We're going to use your feedback to help uh, guide the ship and uh, guide where we want to go on this thing. But the, but the basic idea I'll, I'll share with you here before we get into this particular episode is that uh, myself, uh, Ben Rosario, the coach of the team, um, will sort of host and, and guide the show. And I'll bring on an athlete or athletes from the team, and we'll talk about a specific topic. So each episode will have a very clear focus. Uh, it might be a race preview. It might be a race recap. It might be a deep dive into training. Uh, we'll cover all of that nuts and bolts kind of stuff. Uh, but then each episode will also give us a chance to get to know the athletes better as people. So every single episode will have a uh, still as of now to be named segment where we talk about something else besides running. And it's just a part of their lives um, that has nothing to do with the sport, nothing to do with their job. And uh, I think that's going to be fun because it's going to be able to um, humanize these folks a little bit and, and maybe uh, make them a little bit more relatable, which we're always trying to do because they're just regular folks like uh, yourselves. So to that end, the specific focus for this particular pod is we're going to speak, be speaking with Rory Linkletter and Scott Fauble from the team. Rory and Scott just raced last weekend. So this is a race recap episode, we'll be talking about the Deseret News 10K, which Rory ran and won in Utah last Friday, as of the taping of this episode. And Scott Fauble was fifth at the Bix 7-miler in Iowa the next day, Saturday. So uh, two good performances. Um, I think we'll let those two tell us about the race and about what they thought, positives, negatives. We'll go over the race. We'll go over the training that led into that race. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys like uh, like this format. So let's get it going. Uh, Rory, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Just recovering from uh, yesterday's 15 by K session. I uh, just did a nice easy 10 this morning and rejuvenating my body with some good food and, and electrolytes and just trying to stay on top of things as we get into the thick of things in training. And, and as we sit here today, you guys, it's it's Thursday, July 29th. And Rory's wife, wonderful wife, Jill, is due with their first child, a baby boy, on what day? What's the due date? That was the 27th, so two days ago. So we may have to cut this pod short, people. We don't know. We could have an emergency. Rory could have to leave. We'll have to see. Um, I would welcome it. You'd, you, you're ready, huh? Yeah, I'm ready. Good, good. Well, we're excited for you guys. Uh, Scott Fauble, how are you? I'm good, man. Same as Rory. Uh, recovering after yesterday. 
today's session and after the race. Um, just hanging out, did my rehab a little earlier than usual today. I can watch the Olympics this evening and I don't know. Are you allowed the O word this evening? And um, I think we're just regular people. I don't, we're not participating in the games uh, ourselves. Yeah. So I think we can do that. Yeah. Going to watch the big O tonight. And then um, uh, yeah, just getting ready to do some more work, I guess this week. Now the, the idea here for this pod is that we're going to record every episode, usually live. This one's zoom. Um, you know, Rory's on the ready here. We can't have Rory over at my house. We got to have Rory ready, ready to go to the hospital. Um, but it'll be on YouTube and it'll be on all the various uh, podcast platforms. So for the YouTube folks, uh, they can see this, but what's, what's your hat choice today, Fobs? I went uh, American Aquarium, a really good Southern rock alternative country band. So I got a nice baseball cap. So I thought I'd throw it on today. Just finished a walk with the dog. What, what a why, cool why guy, pain? huh, Rory? Yeah. Why yeah. Pain? yeah. I, I guess he's pretty neat. <laughs> At least his country, though. You like country. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big country guy. I don't know of that specific uh, alternative country rock band that he's rocking, but uh, maybe it's just a little bit more out there. Scott has a unique taste in music. He likes to listen to things that aren't on the top charts. That's right. Got it. Got uh, it. You'll, you'll understand when you get a little older. One of their best songs is called like Lose Inside of 25, which is like the real is the song is about the realization that like, uh you're not as successful or youthful as you once were or thought you would be and i think that really fits my outlook on life is that you're it's always passing you by and you just need to watch it from the banks as it as it goes past you i'm not even 25 yet so the song no. couldn't apply to me yeah very nice very nice all right well let's go chronological order um rory is up first because he ran last friday at the deseret news 10k in utah so first of all tell the tell the fans here about this race it's it's very popular in utah but maybe not as well known nationwide yeah yeah so this race has been going on for a really long time it coincides with a utah holiday called pioneer day uh which is july 24th usually they celebrated on the 23rd this year for a reason i don't know other than maybe they just wanted to have a day off of work so it was a friday instead of a saturday um but yeah it coincides with pioneer day and it coincides also with a big parade through downtown salt lake city so the race starts up near the university of utah which sits upon the hill uh near the mountainside in uh salt lake city and you run from from there down into and through Salt Lake and over to a famous park called Liberty Park where uh, the parade route goes through. And it's, uh, it's a race that has had many elite winners over the years. Uh, Ed Stone has won this many times. C. Placentia has done it as a training opportunity at Paul Pilkington. If you're familiar with all these old, old school 80s, 90s marathoners and, and such, and then in recent years, it's had winners like Gerald Mock and Jared Ward, who are two elite American marathoners right now. And I was lucky enough to uh, put myself in a position to beat Jared as he is a three-time Des News champ in this most recent iteration. And the course is an uh, absolute bombing downhill first four miles and then a flat mile and a half stretch and then a slight uphill finish to, uh, at Liberty Park net downhill of about 600 feet over, uh, over 10 K. So you can imagine that's pretty steep at parts and, uh, it's fast and it hurts in a different way. Cause you are running at altitude, but 
you also beat up your legs and you finish on an uphill. So there's a lot of different things that, that can be thrown at you and, and you can really, uh, get out really hard and then feel it in those last two miles. All right. Well, we'll come back to the race itself, uh, in a bit. Fobs, tell us about the Bix seven miler. So that's the race you ran last Saturday. Yeah. The Bix is, um, one of like the long time old school iconic races in uh, America. I think this is the 43rd consecutive year they've done it. Um, not consecutive, obviously had to take a year off last year, but 43rd iteration of the race, uh, it's in Davenport, Iowa, which is right on the Mississippi river. Um, it's a really tough course. You start first mile, super uphill, and then you go downhill for two miles, um, a quick up and down from three to four, and then basically back up the same hill you ran down and then finish down right by the river. Um, yeah, it's a good race. It's, uh, got a lot of history, um, and, uh, pretty tough course. Uh, this year we had to pretty tough conditions. It was like 80 ish degrees and 85% humidity at the start. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did it in 2017 and got second and I feel like it's a good course for me. So I wanted to go back, uh, especially as we sort of kickstart this fall marathon build. Um, and, uh, yeah, timing worked out too. So, uh, yeah. So you had been second there, Rory, you'd run Deseret News 10 K, but only as a high schooler, right? Yeah. I think my best finish was somewhere just inside the top 20 in about 32 minutes. So never been on the podium or, or sniffed that top group, but yeah, it's uh, I've ran it. I think this would have been the fourth or fifth time I've ever run it. Got it. Got it. Well, here's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to pull up, I'm going to share the screen. Now, obviously for our YouTube viewers, you guys will see this for our podcasters. You won't, but we'll take you through it. Um, we're going to go on to finalsurge.com. So of course, final surge is our, um, final surge is our official Hoka NAZ elite training log partner. Um, and so we're going to go on there and check out, uh, training leading into this to give you guys some context. Um, cause I know a lot of you that are listening, of course, are runners yourselves, and maybe you're trying to think, Hey, where should I set a, a set up, um, a first race in my training block. And, and I would tell you that, you know, when you look at what you're about to see here and we talk you through this, you'll realize that Rory and Scott had not really done that quote unquote much, um, leading into these two races, but that doesn't mean you can't race. And that doesn't mean you can't race. Well, uh, what we're looking at right now is, is I pull up Rory's training and this is from June. Um, and you know, he had come off, um, a spring season, which he had run a number of track races. And so we took a nice break. So we eased back into things, um, on the screen right now, we have basically starting on June 1st, where he was just doing some easy mileage, ran 37 miles week number one, 56 miles week number two, no workouts. Uh, and then it wasn't until the week of June 14th that we started some light sessions. He did a four mile steady state and, uh, and a long run that week. He got his mileage up to 80. And uh, I'll let him take you through uh, the next couple of weeks because that's when he kind of caught up to Fobs and they can take you through what they were doing. Um, but Rory, what, what was, um, what was the beginning of this segment like? Yeah. So it was interesting because Fobble had about a week or two head start on me. So I, uh, I'm, I guess I would say I would consider myself someone who's pretty good at not having bad workouts or not getting dropped. I like to stick it and I, I bring a certain intensity to these workouts and I can look at the, uh, fart lick on the 22nd here, six miles of two minutes on two minutes off as the first, uh, workout of the segment that Fobble and I ran together. And he, uh, 
he put a substantial little, actually it was the second workout we did together, but he did a little substantial gapping of me over the last mile, uh, and one of the two minute on segments. And I was like, okay, I'm not in shape yet, Is it, but it's early. It doesn't matter. Uh, and I was just kind of starting to come into form and I was like, it'll come. I've got tons of time or, uh, we're planning on peaking for this fall and it's still June. So no worries here. And then the following week was when I guess stuff got real for me. Um, we did that nice, fast three mile tempo out on Lake Mary kind of got to feel the legs spin a little bit again. We, I think we averaged 449 or 450 pace for a three mile tempo on some rolling Hills. And then we did some, some turnover after that. And then I got to do the downtown mile and Flagstaff and a cut down long run right after. And that was when I was like, okay, I've now started to do a substantial workload. And I'm, I think like this will start, uh, to, you know, soak into the legs and I'll be feeling pretty strong moving forward. All right. Well, I'll show you guys the ease of final surge here for the coaches. I'll just pull up uh, Scott Fauble's, uh training as well, and we'll look at June. Fobbs, what was the beginning of the segment like for you? Because you were coming off a segment that you really didn't race too much and sort of, I, I mean, I, I should let you put it in your own words, but you weren't super, super into it mentally and you needed to kind of recharge and, and, and um, get excited about this fall. So what was that process like mentally bringing yourself back to where you needed to be? Yeah. I mean, in the spring there like really wasn't that much for me to like train for or do. So I wasn't as like mentally engaged and like, I don't know. I think one of the reasons was like, I was very, I've always been like very invested. I like try really hard and that's all great. That's all fine. I, I really love uh, like really investing myself in stuff, but not just for the sake of investing myself in stuff, there needs to be a payoff. And when there wasn't a payoff, uh, it was tough for me to get like mentally into it. And I really think it ended up being like a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways, because I started this segment feeling the freshest and the healthiest I have in a really long time. Um, I just, so basically trained a little bit over the spring. I mean, I was doing workouts, but I was running like 75 miles a week. Um, I was still lifting, I was still doing my rehab, but just not going hundred percent, um, in training. And, uh, then after that little segment ended, um, I just ran for an entire month. I was doing 65 to 75 ish miles a week, got up to 80, I think one time. Um, and just, uh, just kind of got my legs back under me and really, I mean, felt like we hit the ground with a little bit of momentum when the, the workouts started. Um, so, you know, started out like most segments, started out with some fartleks, uh, four miles marathon effort, structured strides, some good long runs. Um, yeah. And things were, have been coming pretty easily actually. Um, that three mile tempo that Rory was mentioning, that was one of the fastest, like early season tempos I've run. We were in the four forties. Um, yeah. So things started out really well. Um, I was feeling really smooth, uh, and like a little bit popular than normal at the beginning of a segment. So I pulled up the next month. I, I popped us into July yeah. and you know, there's still nothing terribly fancy, but if you, if you, if you are seeing this on YouTube, you can see that the mileage goes up to 89 and then into the nineties um, for Scott here, I've got his pulled up and the workouts like Rory had mentioned are getting a little harder, a hard three mile tempo with a little fart look after a cut down long run uh, where we finished pretty fast. 
And then um, we did 20 times 300 and then a hard hill session um, the week of July 5th. Was there a point on here for either of you guys that you said, oh, I'm starting to come around or has it just felt really gradual? I think that three mile tempo was like a good um, indicator for me. Like sometimes in the, when you have are doing intervals early in a season, you can like hit paces and feel relaxed because you can reset in between the intervals. But I felt good about being able to string together like uninterrupted miles pretty quick. Um, so the tempo was big. That was still technically June. But um, the tempos and then we had hills looks like on July 9th. And I felt good in that one, too. And that's not um, it's a workout I've struggled with in the past, but I felt really smooth on it this time around. Yeah. Rory, when I look me- at this, I remember how easy you guys felt. Uh, if you jump ahead to the week of July 12th, uh, on July 14th, we did 10 by a K and then a little fart like afterward. I remember I wasn't at that workout. Jen, our assistant coach, Jenna Reedon was, but I remember the report was that you guys looked and felt very good. Yeah, that was it. I was about to say that was the point when I felt that the training had started to really kick off in, in the sense that my body and, and everything was clicking right. And it felt like you should, when you start to get in shape where, you know, you maybe a rep could get difficult, but you know, you've got it kind of thing. Uh, and it just feels smooth. And that, that workout was the first one where I was like, okay, like, we're rounding into form here. I'm glad cause I have a, I have a race next week. So, uh, it was a good, it was a good sign for sure. Cause those were very smooth. Uh, I think both Fobble and I felt like we were able to get through 10 by K without any strain really. Yeah. And one week out from the race and it has really nothing to do with the race, uh, or the races that we're going to talk about here in a second. It's really just more the flow of the training was our first steady state that had some pretty good volume to it that, you know, you would maybe call our first real marathon specific workout of the segment, you know, for those listening and and thinking about the marathon for themselves, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, an entire flip from what you're used to. So if you ran in high school and college, a lot of times you're used to doing a lot of strength stuff early in the segment. And then you, you slowly do a little less strength and a little more speed as it gets closer to the end of your season in the marathon. It's almost the opposite, not completely, but you're, because your race is, is a strength race. Your race is 26 miles long. You, you begin to add a little more strength stuff as you go on. And the, the strength stuff becomes, begins to become more specific to the marathon, a little heftier, a little longer in volume, uh, as you go. So this, this 10 mile steady state we did on the 17th was probably the first time really, uh, that we've done something fairly specific to what we'll be preparing to do in, in October, November, depending on when our marathon is. But, um, Scott, you did it up at Lake Mary. That was one of your better starts to the segment in terms of the first long steady state. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the best 10 mile steady states I've done kind of like period. So I felt really good about it. Felt really smooth. Um, and I, I was very encouraged that like the last three miles, like I knew, I knew I could run the last three miles in like 15 minutes, but that wasn't the point of the workout. But like, I knew that gear was there, but I, I felt good about, um, making the decision to just like, just hit five tens, just run five tens. Um, so yeah, I felt great about it. It was 51, a little under 51 40 for 10 miles, which is, which is solid up at Lake Mary. Um, and I, I felt like I didn't have to do too much work on it either. So. And Rory, you had to do that down in Phoenix. And, and that's, that's maybe a good example for people as well, because look, not everything goes as planned all the time. Why did you have to do it down there? How did it go? Yeah. Uh, my wife, Jill was 
a, a week before her due date ish, eight to 10 days out. And she was going to drive down for some, some work. And, uh, we weren't sure if that would induce labor, the change in altitude. And I wanted to be there with her just in case it did. Um, and so I was down in, in Phoenix and I found a, a good little loop, the Biltmore loop. If anyone's from that area, uh, it's a two mile loop that, you know, half of it's up, half of it's down. It's, but it's pretty gradual on both sides. And I was like, this will be a perfect place to do it. I it's, it's, I can guarantee no traffic stops or anything and I can get into a nice rhythm. And, uh, and it was, it was warm as Phoenix is in mid July. And I, uh, I had to suffer a little bit just because of that. It was post-monsoonal humidity and it was around 90 degrees. So as you could imagine, that hurt the pace a little bit, but I felt like my rhythm uh, of marathon effort was, was locked in. Uh, my pace was a little slower than even Fobble at altitude because, because of the conditions I was dealing with. But, uh, but yeah, I checked the box that day, just ran 10 miles at marathon effort, forgot about the pace and was, I felt like that was just all I needed to do on that day was just make sure I was staying in the right zone. And I think think what you guys will find really interesting now that we've gone through it is here we are heading into these races that are, you know, six, seven miles in length and, and they really haven't done anything that would you know, be, be considered traditional work for a 10,000 meter race per se. It's really just base kind of work. Um, and yet they both felt, I think, very confident heading into their races. So let's, uh, let's pull back on the final surge and go back to the screen. And were you talk- going to say something, Favel? Yeah, I was going to say, I think one thing a lot of people can learn from, uh, like Rory's workout is that when you're doing these rate, these workouts where you're simulating a certain pace, like where you really want to hit 10 K effort or 10 K pace or half marathon pace or marathon pace, you're what that means is the pace on that day. Like if you're running into a headwind or if you're running in really hot, humid conditions, or if your course is like really hilly, like it's what you would run for a 10 K or a half marathon or a marathon in those conditions. So you know, I mean, having coached a little bit online, I know it's hard for people who are running a race like Chicago or New York, which is in the fall who are training in like hot, humid conditions in the Midwest. It's hard for them to conceptualize that like running 15 seconds slower than your goal marathon pace when it's 85% humidity is actually better than forcing it and trying to run your marathon pace and like going over the line. Like that's not the point of the workout. Point of the workout is to feel that effort. Um, and I think Roy did that well there when we were talking about the workout afterwards. Yeah. Roy did a really good job. Roy, you and I talked about that beforehand. I said, Hey, let's be honest. If you were running a marathon on the Biltmore loop on that morning, you're not going to run 210. So you shouldn't yeah. be running 210 pace and you did a great job. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how I went into it. And that's how I left it with, uh, taking solace in the fact that it wasn't my fastest 10 mile steady state ever. All right, let's go to the race, Rory. So you're there. It, it's crack of dawn, 6am start. Um, Take us through it. Yeah. So, uh, it's a point to point race. And luckily for me, the event hotel was about 400 meters from the start line. So I just started my warm up and finished it at my hotel, put on my flats and headed over to the start line. Pretty simple setup. Um, it was like the, it's fun. I like racing in this, this like level of lighting, but it was like not quite light out yet. Kind of, you know, there's some intensity there. There's a lot of people. It's a mass participation race. Like I think, normally two to 3000 participants and just the 10,000 meters. 
uh, or 10 K. Um, and it was, I knew it was going to be a race between Jared Ward and I, uh, just on paper. I knew he was the, the best guy in the field and there was a few local, uh, elites that were going to be there early. I knew that Luis Orta from Boulder, Colorado was there and a couple of Utah guys that win a lot of these local races were there. That, and I knew that they weren't going to want to give it up super easily. So I, my goal going in was make it hard early and push and try to dwindle it down to Jared and I, so that I could focus on just winning the race. And it took till about three and a half, four miles before it was just Jared and I, and they fell one at a time and then it flattened out and it got and the racing began around there. What did Jared and, do at that point? He's a veteran. Yeah. So, and I knew this was going to happen. Uh, and I, and I actually thought to myself, if Jared didn't do this, I was going to try to do this, which is as the course flattens out around four miles, uh, you have a good opportunity to make a move on someone because it, you do not feel good after running so fast downhill leveling out and trying to maintain that pace. Your legs are tired from the pounding and Jared increased the effort by a lot as soon as we flattened out. And he probably got, you know, three or four steps on me within like the first minute of him doing this. And I was like, okay, like this is going to be hard. We still have a long ways to go. You know, two miles isn't short, but it, but I just need to get to this next turn. Um, and I was thinking to myself, just try to stay within arm's reach of him, keep him close enough that if you, if you feel like you can kick, you have a chance to catch him. And, uh, he was pushing, 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 never looking back. And I was just making these little deals with myself about, you know, staying on his heels, uh, giving myself a, a punching chance as we reached the final turn. And I kept myself in it enough, about 10 meters, maybe 15 meters was the biggest, the gap got. And as we took the left turn towards the finish line, I, I felt I kind of did a system check and was like, all right, I'm going to start pulling uh, some strings here and seeing if I can, if I can move, move a little quicker, uh, and, and close this gap down. And that's about a K to go at that point. And I was, I think I, I realized I was slowly gaining on him, but I knew I, I hadn't really gone to the, the arms yet or, or started like a, a final move. I was just trying to pick up the momentum towards him. And the, the gap went from 10 meters to five meters in about 30, 40 seconds. And, uh, I could see the finish line, but I, it's a deceptive finish line because it's it's a straightaway, and I know it's further away than it looks. So I'm like just trying to slowly build momentum, not go too hard too early. Uh, he could be saving something in the event that I catch him. I'm I'm thinking out all these scenarios as this is happening live, and the crowds are starting to get a little bit more into it as they can tell this is a race for first. Um, and with about 400, 500 meters to go, I realized I was going to draw even with him at least. And I, uh, I focused on just keeping my form really, really, uh, smooth. And I knew that when I caught him, I had to change gears immediately. Like I was in this one gear to catch him and I knew I had one more at least. And I said, as soon as you get up next to him and pull, pull even, go to that next gear. And sure enough, I pull even with him. He kind of does a shoulder check and he realizes I'm there. And I think that was his worst nightmare because he knows, uh, me from our BYU days and, uh, he knows I like to kick and, and I think he, he was like, okay, this is the moment. And he kind of 
lowers his head and I lower mine and I, I put about five steps on him in, in 10 and it was, it was a quick, a decisive move. And I, I kind of knew that I, I had that in the, in the bag and did a quick shoulder check myself once I pulled away 10, 15 meters later. And then I just kind of tried to be as smooth and efficient as possible into the finish line. Got excited for a second, thought I was going to break 28 minutes. Uh, I ended up running 2805, but I pulled clear of Jared. And that was a really fun way to do it because the crowd was really getting into it. I love it. I love it. It was a great race, Rory. I, I like you bringing the audience into your head and some of the little battles and, and demons that you have to fight off during a race like that. That's really cool. Uh, if, if you guys want to watch that kick, I know it's on your Instagram Rory. What's your handle? I just Rory underscore link letter. Yeah. Check that out. It's pretty cool. He did, it did it on a reel, put some music to it. And, uh, yeah, you can check that out. He's really rolling that last quarter. We were thinking the two of us that you, it had to be close to a 60, if not under. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Strava segment for the last turn of the course to the finish line. And I was running that segment at 420 pace. So, and I definitely was speeding up a lot in the last 400. So I would assume 60 second last quarter was in the, in the cards. Yeah. Fantastic race. All right, Fob. So let's go to Bix because I'm sure there were plenty of demons and little battles you were fighting in your head on that one. And, uh, I think it would be cool to hear what was going on, uh, as the race went by. Yeah. So, um, you know, right when we got down to the start line, I knew it was going to be like really hot and really humid. And, uh, so I cut my work, my warm up short. I only did like 16, 17 minutes instead of like a full 20, 25, um, tried to just keep the body temperature a little bit lower. Um, gun goes off and you start up like a really big hill. Uh, so I up the big hill and my whole thinking was just like, don't expend too much energy. Just do as little as you can to be in the front pack. And, um, and just be in the position you want to be in at the top of the hill. Don't really worry about doing too much here. Um, top of the hill. I was in a group of, I don't know, six or eight people. It seemed like, um, we were like five Oh four at the mile, which is like pretty slow for a seven mile race at the pro level, but it felt like a pretty honest five Oh four, honestly with the hill. But, but, and I'll interject and say that I was watching on TV and I can tell you that, um, in 2019, they had come through that same mile mark in five seventeen. Yeah, the, the announce Tony Revis was making that point that hey, that's straight uphill. So five oh four was actually a pretty quick time up that hill. Yeah, and then we started heading downhill, and it's pretty. That's next mile is pretty fast, and um, I think we were on four twenty on it. The group was all together. I was sitting like fifth or sixth, maybe, but I had like a pretty good eye line on the leader, and I felt like I was in a good spot. Um, tried to stay kind of in the group a little bit, um, and we were like again like four twenty on that mile. Uh, third mile is more of the same, more downhill. You kind of get all the way to the very bottom of the course in that mile. And, um, right when you hit around the three mile mark, uh, it starts to pitch uphill again, pretty steep uphill. Um, but it's short, it's like a 250, 300 meter hill, but it's steep. And Frank Lara is on the front and he starts pushing pretty hard. And I, I just couldn't quite like, I couldn't shift gears. Like I, I felt like I was pushing pretty hard, but when they pushed, they kind of, I felt myself slipping back and I was like trying to dig. I was trying to find the next gear and I was feeling pretty flat and I couldn't cover them up the, the hill. But anyways, so I get over the hill at like three, three and a quarter. Or so you get a big downhill and I hammer the downhill and basically catch back up to the back of the group. Um, but then there's a, 
like a 180 degree turn and you go right back up basically the same hill you just ran down and I got dropped again, um, which is a little frustrating, but, uh, I had some guys up ahead of me who had fallen off as well. So I kind of switched from like, try to be on the front of this group, try to like stay in contact and all like that sort of mindset to like, go get this next guy, go get this next guy. Um, and, uh, as we were started heading back up the big hill to the top of the course, really, um, from like, that's like four to six miles on the course. Um, I really just tried to get into like a grinding mode, like sort of that, that like tempo feel where it's like, um, this is the effort I can do for the rest of the course, not necessarily thinking about like shifting gears and like revving the engine, but like, this is as fast as I can cover the last, the rest of the way. Um, and then every time I would catch somebody kind of like Rory was talking about when he went past Jared with authority, I was able to put in like 15, 20 seconds of like a little bit of a push each time. Cause I knew these guys, as they were falling off the lead court lead group, uh, they weren't feeling good either. And I mean, frankly, neither was I, but, um, if I could shut the door on them immediately, like they, I couldn't like, I didn't want to give them hope as I went past them. So as I caught guys, a little push here, a little push there and, um, got myself back into fifth. And, uh, then the last mile is like a big bombing downhill and then a left turn. And one thing I did on the, my warm up was like, I checked how far out various like landmarks were. So I would kind of know where I was in the last mile. So I could kind of pick it up as, um, as I passed them. So I knew this big overpass was like, uh, I think it was like 1100 out. And then the turn was 500 out. And then there was a pedestrian bridge 200 out. And so those were my three spots. It was like, okay, hit the bridge, push, hit the turn, push, hit the last pedestrian bridge and kick. And even though I wasn't battling anyone, um, that last 200 meters, it was still important to me to like, feel like I changed gears and feel like I brought it home. Um, just to like, keep that, that mentality of like, you're always kicking at the end of a race. Um, it was important to me to like, go to that, even if, even if it wasn't for anything. So, um, I felt like there were things I could have done better in that race. Like I could have had a really busy mind. I didn't feel like I was as like focused and kind of calm as I have been in the past. Um, you know, I kind of wish I would have like taken more of a risk and like really done everything I could to sell out when Frank made that move at like, you know, three ish miles. Um, but like I, at the same time, like I'm happy that we, that I, once it, once I had an opportunity for it to go bad, I brought it back. I didn't like throw a pity party for myself. I didn't give in. Like I still fought all the way to the end, even when I wasn't necessarily battling anyone. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was fine for a first race of the year. Uh, I wish it would have gone a little bit better, but, um, but no, I I'm, you know, it's like a B minus C plus race. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, Fobs did a good job there taking us through positives and negatives because in this sport, I think sometimes we think of things in, in a very black and white way. Either I ran the time I wanted or I didn't. Either I got the place I wanted or I didn't. It was a pass or it was a fail. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice uh, when we do it that way because we're not learning from the experience one way or another. I think the way he just described uh, his race and the way he analyzed it is really the, the, the best way to go about it. Uh, and, and in fact, I'll put that on Rory. Um, you know, your race, you did 
quote unquote pass. You did win. You did do what you set out to do. But that doesn't mean that it was perfect. So if you had something to change, if you could pick out a negative, what would it be? Yeah, I actually did. I had that in my head, you know, even as I finished, I didn't want it to be a kicker's win. I wanted to try, like, I thought about making that same move Jared did at four miles when it flattened out. And when he made it, he made it so well that I was actually just trying to cover it and keep it from, from defeating me. And, uh, I, I would, I wanted to prove that I could win in different ways. Cause I knew I could win that way. Uh, and I knew that, you know, upcoming races, I couldn't get away with just trying to win that way. I need to be able to cover moves. I need to be right on it and, uh, be able to smell the front. Cause it won't always just be a one-on-one battle. It, there will be other guys that might feel better that are going to be in a better position that do cover the move. So for me, I, I looked at it as, yeah, that was great that I was able to, to keep the move within arm's reach and then kick well. But, uh, ideally I don't let him get 10 steps on me. You know, I, I keep it right right on his shoulder, apply that pressure throughout. And then I can be the enforcer later, uh, if I, if I need to wait, but, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to try to do it a different way. I, I was pressing the whole first four miles and maybe that's why he was able to take advantage of that. Cause I was trying to keep it pretty honest and did so. Cause it was a fast day for that, even that course. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would have liked to had one in the way that my mind, when I played it out, I was going to, I was going to push from further out instead. I was the one being, uh, pushed against and I just had to respond. Well, and, and, and let's, let's learn from what Fob said too, right? So letting Jared get 10 meters on you, but there's nobody in between. That's a lot easier situation mentally than in a deeper field like Fobbs was in. So Frank makes the push, but seven guys go. So all of a sudden, yeah, you're 10 meters back, same as you were, but you're an eighth as opposed to second. That's really difficult mentally. And so that's why in a race like you were in, you were able to come back, but that's not always going to be the case. So you make a good point that you've got something to learn from there. You cannot let those little gaps form because it's much harder uh, the deeper uh, the race. Yeah. And, and someone else is going to have a good day. They went with that move. They're not going to feel that move the same way. You just, you add more variables. Someone's going to have something extra to throw in there and it's just going to be one move after another. And before you know it, you're, you're buried. So we will come back to the next opportunity you guys have to race here in a second. And it's going to be a race that you guys are in together, which is cool. Uh, But let's take a quick break and shift gears and we're going to move into a segment that we're going to do every podcast here on the Midday Treat. And that's a segment uh, to be named. So if you're watching on YouTube and you want to give us a, a suggestion in the comments below, please do so. This is going to be a segment where we talk about something other than running, for God's sakes. So today we're going to talk about a passion, a new passion for Rory and fairly new passion for Scott. And that is golf. So we're going to talk some golf. So if you don't like golf and you don't want to hear these guys talk about golf, you can skip to the end and listen to them hear them, <laughs> listen to them talk about the next race. But I think it'll be fun to hear them talk about something other than running. So, Fobs, how did you get into the sport of golf? Uh, I played golf a little bit when I was younger. Um, and I think this segment is going to go really well because everyone loves hearing about how the last round you shot, you know, you shot a 93, but it could have been an 86. So um, I think people are really going to glob onto that. Um, but no, I started, I golfed a little bit when I was younger. Um, not a ton. And then at Scott Smith's bachelor party, uh, we were playing golf out in Palm Springs. And I was like, this is actually like really fun. And uh, when I got home, I bought a set and um, 
been playing for about that like a little over two years now so yeah rory how about you yeah so uh similar i didn't play when i was younger but i i had you know gone to the course with you know family before and and hit the ball but i never really stuck but during the pandemic when you know not a lot of activities were allowed golfing was one of the things you could go do you could go hit the links because uh it was safe it was socially distanced it was outdoors and uh we watched the last dance during the uh the the pandemic and Michael Jordan's obsession with golf and my admiration for Michael Jordan kind of was like, I need to just, I'm going to start golfing. And, uh, and so Favle got me to come to the short nine a few times with him. And, and then I bought a pass there and bought a wedge and a putter and started practicing and getting into it. And then by the end of summer, I, I, well, middle of summer, I bought, you know, a full set of clubs, went to the long course and I really dove into the sport last summer and, and it's for, it's a frustrating sport for a beginner because it's just the entry level of, of skill and talent is just very hard to uh, overcome. But, uh, similar to running, I think it's one of those sports that can be a lifetime sport and no matter how good you're at, you're, you are at it, you can totally fall in love with it and just try to better yourself and learn a little bit about yourself in the, in the process. And also socially, it's a good thing to do with friends. And you bought the clothes too. I've seen you in the outfits. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think you got to look good to, to play good and you got to, you got to kind of look the part. And so I don't want to, I don't want to rock up to the golf course and people know that I'm a plus 35 handicap. Uh, I'd like them to think, Oh, maybe this guy's pretty good. He's young. He could, he could know how to swing the sticks, but, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just part of my mentality of just being all in on everything I do. So I don't do anything really, uh, half-assed, I, I kind of commit. So Fobbs, play Max Homa for a second. So, so for those of you who don't know, Max Homa is a professional golfer on the men's tour and, uh, regular amateur Joes send him videos of their swing and he sort of rips them in, in a fun way. And, uh, and, and, uh, they go back and forth on Twitter about it. So play Max Homa and tell me about Rory's swing. Oh gosh. Uh, well, his grip is like really far apart. Like his hands, like don't touch each other. Like they're supposed to. So that's, that's where I'd start. Um, Max probably say something like your hands are farther apart than the, the banks, of the Suez canal. Um, and then he, uh, you know, his, like his low point control isn't great. Isn't great. So he's not, <laughs> sorry, Rory. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's like sometimes Rory's hitting it fat and just get in the ground way early, but sometimes hit, hitting it really thin and kind of topping it. So that's, that's not great. Um, and it's just sort of, uh, it's sort of like herky jerky. It looks kind of like he needs, needs an oil can. Out there. <laughs> Rory, what's, what's the best part of your game? Um, early. Gosh, I, I, uh, I would have to say putting, because nothing else is even halfway decent and you don't really need, uh, need too much other than just like some sort of ability to read and knowing touch to be decent at it. I average like 2.2 putts per, 
per hole uh, in my my little app I put all my scores into, which I think is decent to putt and more than not. And that's kind of the name of the game. So just got to try to get on the green in regulation and I'm and I'm hitting pars, which I, by the way, I did have a record four pars in 18 last time out. So nice. Foss, what's one. your best score? I've shot 82 before. 82, 82. Yeah. So here's a question. I, I asked my cycling buddies this because I don't know a whole lot about cycling. So when I watch the tour de France, I think, Hey, could my buddy Carter hang with these guys for, for a whole tour stage? You know, so these are the kind of questions I ask. So I'll ask you, if you played Augusta, what would you, so you've shot 82 on a regular 18 hole golf course. Yeah. So if you were at Augusta in the same uh, manner or in, in the same shape that they have the course for the masters, what would you shoot on that course? Probably like 130. I mean, like, like I shot an 82 on like a, like a pretty short Muni with like pretty slow greens and not that much water. So like that, I play a lot. Like I kind of know my way around it. Like you put me on Augusta on like in tournament conditions. Like I was reading, you know, obviously I, I like gambling on golf as well. And in some of the research I was doing for the most recent masters, I was reading about the greens and, uh, some of the pros were like, if you put a scratch golfer on the Augusta greens in regulation, they're still not breaking a hundred. Like they're, the greens are so hard. Like I'd be putting things off the green into the water on like six of the holes. Like there's just no way I would be even three putting. I'd be psyched with three putts. Um, not to mention like if you miss a drive, you're having to punch out. Like there's nowhere to miss really in Augusta. Um, all the greens are really hard. I couldn't imagine getting out of those bunkers. Um, I can't hit a draw. Uh, so that would you know, be really the problem is you can't hit the draw. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't get it around the corners. Um, so I think, I mean, I honestly think like 130 on a tournament conditions. One of my, you know, like sometimes you think about these things and I think one thing I would love to see on the PGA tour is what I'm calling normal guy foursomes. So like on a Thursday morning or a Wednesday afternoon, when the course is in like tournament conditions, you send out like four scratch golfers in the area to go play the course and see how well they do just like you can even make a scramble out of it. And I don't think that they'd break par, you know, like you see these like PGA pros who are like really good golfers at like the PGA tour and not, they like never make the cut. These like, they're so much better than us that it's just not even, I want to know how much better th than us they are. So that's my idea. Normal guy foursomes. I love it. Rory. There's what is that book about? you know, the guy says, if you did anything for 10,000 hours, you could become a professional. Athlete. I think it's Gladwell's, uh, or is it an Epstein one? It's a Gladwell or Epstein book. Well, Gladwell wrote outliers. Yep. And then it was Epstein, and, the sport gene, maybe Ep no Epstein wrote the sports gene where Epstein kind of rips that apart. He sort Gladwell of debunks that theory to an extent yeah. in. And Gladwell kind of bastardizes it. It wasn't, that's not exactly what the guy was saying. Correct. Correct. But anyway, yeah. the, 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 the general idea is that if you practiced long enough, you could become a professional at something. If you quit running tomorrow and practice golf for 10,000 hours, could you become a professional golfer? No, I don't think so. I, I think I could, I could try to be a, a scratch golfer. I think that's something that I could, if I had the time and resource to do it and, you know, a coach and all of the things you can throw at it, I think eventually that would be the ultimate goal that that's probably the pinnacle of the Joe Schmo golfer though, is like, like 
a scratch golfer, but like Fable just said, you throw a scratch golfer on Augusta in tournament conditions and it's just not, it's just not even close. Okay. Final golf question. Then we'll go back to running best overall golfer on the team. Ben Bruce. I mean, if he's, if we consider him on the team, he's not technically on the roster, but um, Ben Bruce or, and then, or it, it, and then it's a close tie between Scott and Scott. They have just like their marathon battles. Their uh, golf game is, is uh back and forth. I'm, I'm like four and one against Scott. <laughs> it's not even fair. Plus I have a faster PR. I mean, you're both 209 marathoners with top 10 finishes at world marathon majors. I just, I'm just giving you the stats. Right. <laughs> I just, I don't care for that. Comparison. It's absurd. All right. How about, okay. One more. Okay. We go to the short nine. Um, who's the best at the short nine. So this is just a pitch and putt. Um, I don't know. Probably. That, yeah. That one's hard. Cause that, that you got less strokes to play with. So um, it can be just the day I I've beaten Scott Favel on the short nine, but I I'm not even close to touching him on, on a uh, full length course. So it's okay, really, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing a future podcast. We're out on the course live, right? Yeah. Live. We're doing it live at the short nine. That's what we could call the uh, episode. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, might have to get the, the, like the bleep button ready. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That'll be not for kids, not for kids. Yeah. All right, folks, here we go. Last segment. We're going to, um, we're going to talk about what's next, right? So, um, what's next for you guys, two weeks from this weekend, you will be running the Falmouth road race. I think we can say that. I think those fields are out. And so we don't have a ton of training in between there, uh, in between now and then, but it's just kind of more of the same. And then you guys get to go at it, but against a much deeper field, I think some of the names have already come out. Uh, ben Flanagan, who, who beat Fobbs at that race a couple of years ago when they were one, two, he's coming back. I think Lenny career is in there. Uh, you guys could probably help me out, but there's a ton of, uh, a ton of talent in this men's field. Uh, so go ahead and say some of the names when, when I, when I go to you guys, but, um, what are you looking for at Falmouth? What's the general goal? What are you going to do between now and then? Yeah, I think Steven oh. Sam, who's won it four times, Edward Cheserak, who's obviously, very, very good. Um, ben True is on the, in the list. So who's, you know, 27, 20 guy. So um, I think what I'm looking for is just to take like a step forward from Bix. Like I had the Bix performance and I want to feel like I can shift gears. I want to feel like I'm racing a little bit better. I want to feel like I'm more mentally engaged. And, you know, I mean, I like from an outcome standpoint, like I'd like to win. I was second here before and I'm going to certainly try, but, uh, I think from a, from a process standpoint, just like feeling, feeling more positive than Bix. Like I would like to have, feel like I made some moves and sold out. And even if I go over the line and like, can't finish the way I want, I still would really like to, um, cover big moves in the middle of the race. Cause there are usually, um, in, in that race. So, uh, that's kind of where I'm coming, where I'm coming from. Right. Yeah, I, I I have a couple process oriented. Maybe that they they leak into some outcomes, uh, but for me, it'll be racing aggressively and not being afraid of the fact that there's a bunch of big names. I haven't done a ton of uh, 
road racing, actually, surprisingly, I've ran, I've ran road races, obviously, but I haven't been in a ton of national class caliber fields like this one. I've run, you know, gate river, uh, where I felt like I made some, some errors as far as tactic tactics go. And I would like to just leave this one saying I matched every move I should have matched. I, I put my neck out there. I gave myself a chance to, uh, compete really well. Maybe I tried some things that, that scare me a little bit thinking about them, but I took risks and I want to, I want to mix it up with Fobble and just follow his leadership as a guy that's done this before. So I'll probably look for him out there and just try to stick to him like glue. Cause I know he'll put himself in it cause he's a competitive guy and he's got the, got the stuff to compete well. So I'll just mimic him as much as I can and then look for opportunities for me to play to my strengths and uh, hopefully that leads to being there with a mile to go and having something exciting, but if it doesn't, then just staying tough and connected and engaged in whatever battle I'm in. Awesome. You guys, well, I hope we can do another one of these with you guys after Falmouth and we can recap that race. And by then maybe we'll be able to tell the audience what marathon you're running this fall. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be great. Cool. Well, thanks you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you. listening to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. I'm Addison Rosario, Coach Ben's daughter. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on NAZElite.com and stay tuned for the next episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite.